Good morning. It's Britt, the petite polymath. It's been a bit, but I've been busy. We're going to do a comparison between two books today, Ilya Delio's Making All Things New and Jonathan Kahn's Return of the Gods. So hello everyone. Um, it has been a bit, and this is an experiment because I'm wearing some wireless headphones, which apparently there's a speaker somewhere. I don't really know where it is. So we'll see if I can hear myself. And if it works, you will get this recording. And if not, I'll have to do it another time. But anyway, I, uh, I've been thinking about this episode for a bit. Um, my mom had sent me a book and was like, oh, you should do an episode on this. Mind you, I don't even think she really even listens to my podcast, so I found this very amusing. Um, and I typically don't read, like, religious books by people that are alive <laughs> that I don't know personally, just because people disappoint you, and then you say something that you can't take back, and then you find out they were horrible, and, you know, it's there forever on the internet, so there we are. But... I read these two books and they seemed to be sides of the same coin in many ways and I figured it'd be a great way to kind of compare and contrast these perspectives. So, um, the framework that these books are in is of course Judeo-Christianity. So if that's not something you subscribe to, you shouldn't be offended by anything said because you don't believe in this construct anyway. Uh, on top of the fact that I find it very amusing that religion is one of the places where People are very quick to say, well, I don't believe what you believe, and so um, what you believe doesn't impact me. And at the same time, if you believe that what they're doing is wrong, then they get offended by that. And I don't really understand why, since if the whole construct you want to throw out, it shouldn't matter. But that's neither here nor there. So anyway, um, my first, which I finished um, first, was Ilya Delio, Making All Things New. She is a Franciscan sister and also a, a scientist. Um, I think she actually received her PhD in neurotoxicology or neuropharmacology, uh, but then she kind of went down the path of thinking about, um, you know, physics and concepts of existence and time and space. And I mean, honestly, if you can think about things on the micro level, you know, molecules and compounds, it's not very difficult to translate that microcosm to the macrocosm of the cosmos and the universe. And uh, her kind of treatise in this book is about how Christianity um, was this way of, of God, you know, revealing himself in the world. And then that when the religion of it became, you know, kind of a state religion, politics attached to it by Constantine, the Christianity that Jesus brought into the world ceased to be what we would know it as, mainly just because of the human corruption of institutions, right? And uh, she kind of gives you this background because she, being a scientist, but also being a Christian, she has no beef with evolution. She has no beef with the Big Bang Theory. She thinks 
these things totally fit into the construct of a benevolent, omniscient, omnipresent God. As somebody who believes in the Trinity, this Christian aspect of God the Father being um, non-corporal, right? So um, he is an entity that surpasses gender, that surpasses matter, that surpasses time. Um, it would be like from a philosophical perspective, like you can't compare being a creature, whether that's human or animal or plant, with being God. And so when we say that God surpasses what it means to be a person, like our creatureliness is completely in a different category. Um, and this is important because this comes up again with Jonathan Kahn's Return of the Gods. Um, but this is the Christian belief of God, a God that is not like man at all, man of the universal sense. But then you have these other two persons of the Trinity. You have um, Jesus, who is the embodied son of God in a body, uh, can, you know, very much tethered to creatureliness. And that's very important because through that, God then can empathize and understand our plight because he, he lives this out on this planet and, you know, does all the things it is to be human, but born of a woman, goes through puberty, gets a paper cut. I don't know, maybe not a paper cut since there wasn't paper like that back then, but probably stubbed his toe, probably twisted an ankle, lost teeth, had bad breath, all the things. And you know, then dies a horrific death, unjustly, by the powers of the world he's in, but then is resurrected in a non-corruptible body and eventually ascends back to heaven to intercede for the humans he's left behind, right? And he says this is necessary so that the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, who is like the animus to every believer and is present in this planet everywhere at all times, uh, whether we acknowledge it or not. Um, this is the first, like, like Jesus leaving the earth is the first time that God is present everywhere all the time on the planet, like animating people. That's the concept of Christianity. Okay. Um, so this is happening, of course, in the Middle East, and the Great Commission is that these disciples are sent all over the world to preach this gospel, and you see this happen. Like, you've got Philip, who goes to to Africa. You have Thomas, who goes to India. You have Paul, who goes all throughout Greece um, and Italy, and eventually, of course, the, the, um, the faith is spread abroad. But then at some point, people marry this to politics, and... Um, and things go a bit haywire. You have the Holy Roman Empire, you have the creation of the Roman Catholic Church, as opposed to like the Eastern Orthodox Church, as opposed to like the Ethiopian um, Orthodox Church, right? And uh, the Christianity we know today, in all of its forms, can be traced back to these places. So you have empire in the name of God, which if you really like read the Gospels, and even the New Testament is completely counter to what faith is supposed to be. And in the wake of all this, you have the, you know, discoveries in science that are in direct opposition to the church's need to hold on to power. And there is um, repression and there is persecution because of this. Okay. Meanwhile, in other parts of the world, like you've got Buddhism 
um, and, and you have, you know, these other polytheistic religions and you have Confucianism and these other philosophies about, you know, like presence and being disconnected from, um, from like your desires and, and these other things that like have these, these elements of, of, of Christian principle, but not tethered to like the Christian construct. And Delio is saying that in order for Christianity to be valid today, Christianity needs to be an open system as opposed to a closed one. And that um, the church, which for the record, for people who don't like church, um, the church being something that Jesus institutes, which he says when he's on the planet. So people who don't like the church and say they like Jesus, that's incongruent. The concept is that the church is a body of people, imperfect, but striving towards one commonality, which is like um, the spreading of the gospel, which is actually just good news that like God loved you and wants to reconcile you back to him. That's it. That's it. And what that looks like is like, you know, evident if you read the gospels. So Delia is saying that like that unification, like uh, making all things new is the heart of the gospel, the heart of why God even did this whole thing. And that our free will is, is, is connected in that. And that um, overarching outside of time is this drive towards everything in the cosmos being reconciled back to himself. So that is Elia Delio, okay? It's a really beautiful book. It made me think a lot about the ways that that Christians operate in a world that doesn't, um, I don't know how to say it, um, doesn't consider it like applicable, but it's very applicable to what we experience. So that's it. Then you have Jonathan Kahn. So Jonathan Kahn, Messianic Jew, um, he writes this book, The Return of the Gods, and his treatise is um, what, uh, what would happen if the god, if the gods of like the Mesopotamian empires, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, um, if those gods still existed, you know, they, would they then reiterate themselves as the gods of the mythologies that we like think are a joke today? but that people very much believed in, the Greeks and the Romans, the Norse gods, uh, the gods in like sub-Saharan Africa, you know, the Hindu gods, like, are these gods today all just iterations of actual spiritual entities that exist? And if so, in this world that has like moved into a post-god society in lots of places, not everywhere, but particularly in the Western culture, because of the introduction to Christianity and Christianity as empire, may I also add, a lot of those gods went into hiding or into hibernation because they weren't, they were kind of put in the closet as everyone took on this like Christianism, Christianity as empire thing in the West, at least for a period of time. Um, so in a now post-Christian world for the Western civilization, what if these gods returned because people turn their back on these Christian constructs and they start adopting these old gods again. How would that look 
in this current society. And he posits that there are like three main spiritual forces in the current world that are really just the old gods. So one of them being um, Zeus or Baal or Mammon, um, which is like a god of, of conquest and greed, um, of power and dominance. Then you've got um, Moloch, um, which I don't know what an equivalent would be in, um, in Greek or Roman mythology, but, um, nor do I know what it would be in like Hindu, but I'm thinking of like whatever God was, was like prevalent in like the Mayan and Aztec empires. I think that would apply. This is a God of destruction and violence of war, of bloodshed, particularly of the death of innocence. Um, and then the third is a goddess of seduction, sexual depravity, um, hedonism, but also vengeance and um, revenge. So that could be like Kali, um, Ishtar, Ashtaroth, Venus, Aphrodite. Like those spirits are all kind of mixed up together. Okay. Um, Jezebel um, would be a, a hat tip. Um, and that these are spirits that are moving through the world and we see them in the ways that like, like the entertainment industry, um, the way the cat, like the capitalist, you know, drive towards like money being, everything being monetized and everything having a monetary value. Um, like the, the flippant nature of the view of like, of sexuality being disconnected from committed relationship and just like something that's done um, as a bodily urge or um, as a place of like self-expression without any consideration for like the life creating uh, value it has. And the fact that, uh, um, you know, termination of pregnancy is not like seen as something weighty and heavy, but just like a medical procedure. Okay. So this is his posit is, is that um, these spirits are things that have been here before they, they kind of retreated, and now they've come back full force. And what's interesting is, and, and there's two parts of his treatise that I don't agree with. So one, he presumes that the Western civilization was built on Christian principles, which is hand-wavy to me, um, because, of course, this same culture creates white supremacy and race as a construct, which is diabolical and horrible, and then justifies it with the church and the Bible, which is diabolical and horrible. Um, also, the subjugation of women in the name of God, also horrible, and like sexual violence and, and sexual depravity never went away. Okay. Um, now, granted, those things were not... Um, I mean, I guess they were not as flagrant at periods of time, and then they resurfaced as, like, something people just do and they don't think twice about. But um, I, I, I don't think that, like, there was ever a time where people better, per se, on this planet. I, I refuse to believe that. Um, and so that's my critique of him. And then he talks about, now this is interesting, as something we've been seeing, like, that, you know, that the, that Ishtar in particular had temples 
Um, and she had an inscription to her, which is something I'm not familiar with and I want to go back and, and read. There were these phrases of like, men will be as women and women will be as men. Um, there was like temple prostitution of women sleeping with men, but then there were male prostitutes who were feminized and slept with men as if they were women. This was part of like the worship for her. And then there were priests and her priest um, cross-dressed, which I had no idea about. Now I know we talk a lot about with like the trans movement right now, this idea of like two-spirit people in various indigenous cultures being something that was always part of of the community, right? And then often these people were seen as sacred um, and were venerated or at least protected, right? Um, and so uh, this is not a new phenomenon, but then this goes underground when Christianity as empire sweeps through these places, right? And like people debating the good or bad of that is neither here nor there. It's just, that's what happened. And now this is coming up again um, to the forefront. And this idea of like gender fluidity, the destruction of the gender binary is happening again. And what's interesting is people don't realize that like that's not new. That was before and it is again. And, um, and so it's just a very fascinating like view of that nothing is new under the sun at all. And, um, and regardless of like your views on Christianity and its validity or truth, it's just, um, it frames for you like where we've been before as a human family and where we are headed again. And the question I think is going to be, is there room for dialogue and dissent or not? Um, there's more that I could get into, but I just would say, if you're curious, you should read both of these books because they give two very different perspectives of kind of the same idea. And I'm going to end as I'm getting close to 20 minutes and that's longer than I like to go. Um, the point about God being not like man is very important here because that's the difference in Christianity and all these other, um, these other entities. These spiritual entities are fickle, they're lustful, they're greedy, they're vengeful, they're selfish, they're immature, they're petulant. The Christian God doesn't operate like that. Like, and if you read scripture in its context, or if you see the way that Jesus moves through space, it is so counter to any other God. It just, it just is. There's like no other way to describe it. And when I say God, I mean like, you know, the God that is known as Yeshua, the God who is known as Allah, like that God. So it's, it's just a fascinating, fascinating um, thing to read. So uh, that's me. I'm done babbling. I hope I didn't bore you. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode today and uh, have a great rest of the week.